Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureFist podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 326, and today's guest is Dries Bertart, founder and project lead of Drupal, and co-founder, CTO, and chief strategy officer of Acquia. Many of the most successful companies in tech were created by founders who built something that was to fill their own need. This was certainly the case for Dries, who back in 2000 started an internal online message board for his friends from his dorm room in Belgium, which turned into Drupal. Fast forward to today, Drupal powers 2% of all websites in the world and over 10,000 people contribute to the Drupal open source project every year. In addition to running one of the most successful open source projects, Dries went on to build Acquia, along with his co-founder and the company's first CEO, Jay Batson, and early investor, Michael Skok. Acquia's innovative business model has been a blueprint for other companies, and today, Acquia generates over $300 million in annual recurring revenue. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like the details of the Drupal community and what are the right ingredients for building a successful community. Dries' background story growing up in Belgium, how he developed a passion for technology, and the full story of how Drupal came to fruition. Drupal's growth and momentum, plus a great story of how the community stepped in to help fund this open source initiative. The early days of Acquia in terms of figuring out the business model and then scaling the company under Tom Erickson's leadership. The current state of the state of Acquia as a digital experience platform. Why entrepreneurship is 80% sales and marketing even as an engineer and so much more. Okay, quick side note, is your company hiring? If the answer is yes, then what are you doing to build up your company's employment brand? If you don't have a content strategy, then it is very likely that you're just flying under the radar. The good news is that VentureFizz can help. A subscription to VentureFizz includes a content playbook for sharing all the details on your company, people, and culture. We leverage all formats of storytelling to include video, podcasting, employee profiles, and more. Reach out to info at VentureFizz to learn all the details. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Dries. Dries, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I am excited to talk to you. Jeez, uh, there's a whole host of reasons. Um, you know, we met each other actually many years ago at a Mass TLC unconference event. And uh, there's so much to the story to be told here about Drupal, about Acquia. And not that I need to actually give a disclaimer, but <laughs> I think it's only fair. Uh, VentureFizz is built on Drupal. So I have been using Drupal since 2009, which is super cool. And we also use Acquia for our hosting and other things. So uh, oh, thank I'm you. also a loyal and happy customer. Uh, but to kick things off, before we get into your background story, I do want to talk mm -hmm. about the passionate community that you've built around an open source project that being Drupal. That is really, really, really hard to build. And lots of companies these days, they think community outside of AI, because obviously AI is on every company's mm -hmm. radar, but community has always been this like silver lining. If we could build a community of passionate developers that love our tools, that will be our marketing and sales growth channel, right? So if you could talk about like community building and how to do that around a, you know, an open source project and building kind of like almost like a movement. Yeah. 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 Drupal is um a very large community. As you, as you know, we power 2% of all the websites in the world and we have one of the largest open source communities in the world. Like every year, over 10,000 people contribute to Drupal. And so a lot wow. of, a lot of organizations, a lot of people, they come to me asking like, so how did you build a community? And I hate to say it, but there's no magic bullets, you know? First mm -hmm. of all, I think a lot of the people that ask me, how do you build community? They hope to see some kind of overnight success. <laughs> uh, but in reality, <laughs> it took Drupal, you know, over a decade, I would say, until like we really felt like we had a strong community. Um, I would say the other thing is like an open source helps here, but like we've always been like super transparent with everything. You know, and I think that really helps build community as well, because everybody can see exactly what's going on, every decision that we make, all the processes that we have, completely transparent, 100%. And so there is no like hidden agendas and people can feel like, yeah, I can learn anything I want. I can participate in any way I want. And so that obviously helps build community uh, as well. Um, I think the license of Drupal also is a big uh, contributor to it. You know, like we basically license Drupal as GPL, meaning that everybody that uses Drupal can obviously use it for free. 
but then they can also look at the source code. It's, it's part of our transparency. They can study how Drupal works and they can make changes to it and they can share those changes with others. So it's really, a lot of time people, when they join a community, they're going to give back to the community. They're going to invest some of their time and their money or their energy into something. And they feel a lot less compelled if there is kind of a single beneficiary of all of that work. You know what I mean? Like they feel a lot, lot more compelled to contribute and to become part of a community uh, if it benefits them and the greater good, so to speak. So I think the ingredients need to be right uh, to build community. You have to be patient because there is no overnight success. Uh, and then you need to lead the community. Um, you know, you need to convince them uh, why it's important to be a part of this community. And, and you know, when you're an organization, it's not always easy. You know, it's not always easy to convince people that there is a bigger purpose uh, by being by becoming a part of their community. But I think it's a lot easier in the open source world, you know? Well, one of the key things I think that is obvious in the success of any community is it's authentic, right? Mm -hmm. It's not forced. It's not like, hey, we're going to build this and it's going to be awesome. It was like, it just organically happened. And mm -hmm. that I, I've been a fortune with Venture Fizz. Like I was like, I think the Boston tech scene needs something that brings everything together for people. So I didn't have this like master evil plan that would turn into a company. It was just a side project that I thought would be useful. And mm -hmm. next thing you know, it turns into here a company, are. but here we are. So, uh, yeah. so before we get into, uh, you know, Drupal in itself, mm -hmm. um, I want to rewind the clock. So where did you grow up? What were you like as a child? Yeah, I grew up in Belgium in Europe. Um, I got introduced to computers at a relatively early age. I think it was probably 10 years old or something. And my dad my parents had a computer was what, a what was Commodore your first computer 64. Okay. A Commodore 64 oh. technically it was my dad's computer but hey <laughs> he oh, I was allowed to use it from time to time and he bought me some books for kids it was like programming for kids and you basically had to type over very short you know basic code I guess it was like less than half a page or something and it created like a very basic game and so I was 10 years old so you know I guess I could read and write but you know wasn't like proficient <laughs> in those things but i would spend sort of like my afternoons or like weekends i would like carefully type over these programs and yeah basically started programming at a relatively young age um and i've always been passionate about it so um ended up studying computer science um and ended up doing a phd in computer science ended up starting drupal as a sort of a hobby project, just like what you just said, it wasn't a big plan. I just wanted to scratch my own itch and felt like I needed to build something for me and my friends and ended up building a message board that became, you know, Drupal in the end. So, um, yeah. And this was while you were in college, you were in your dorm room. Like, I, yeah. So like, the story, I need this message board. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you the story. So like, um, I was a student, computer science and you know, this was way back when I'm going to date myself, but like, I didn't have a phone line in my dorm. I didn't have internet in my dorm. You know, this was in the sort of, um, I guess mid nineties. And one of my best friends, he was living across the street and he was one of the first people. I think there was like 10 people or so in Antwerp, the city where I was living. And I got like fast speed internet. It was like a beta <laughs> program and he got internet and like he had to sign this contract that said, you shall not share this internet with other people. <laughs> and like, I didn't have any internet in my dorm. And so the first thing we did is we figured out a way to share his internet. And then we hooked up more people. And like, in the end, I think we had like 12 different students or so, or maybe not quite 12, but at least six students um, all used his internet. And because of that, I felt like, oh, let's create a message board. Uh, let me, you know, cobble something together because uh, we had this little community um, going in our dorm room. And I figured I would spend a couple nights, you know, putting together a basic message board. And I decided to do that because we needed it, but also because my PHP and my SQL, two of the technologies that Drupal is built on, were kind of the new kids on the block, you know? And I'm like, all right, I can do something useful, scratch that itch, and I can learn about two new technologies at the same time. So let me... Let me just do that and spend a couple nights working on that. And, um, you know, fast forward 23 years and I'm still working on Drupal. So it, it truly started by accident, to be honest, or wasn't a master plan, wasn't a grand vision. It was just 
me in my dorm trying to cobble something together. Well, but back then building a website was a heroic process. Like most of them were built in like Perl or C. Yeah, Perl. And yeah, then you had exactly. and then you had the legacy CMS applications like Vignette, Interwoven, mm. Fatwire. And those were enterprise applications, heavy lifting. You had to buy purchase a big license. You had a professional services team come in and implement interwoven and build websites. That's so right. it was a different world. I didn't have access to any of these tools and and but I did program my first websites in Perl. And we we didn't have databases either. Um, so we would store things in flat files, text files. <laughs> and that had all kinds of issues, of course, with race conditions, et cetera, et cetera. And so when MySQL became available as an open source project, I was like, wow, we can actually use a database when we're building websites. And then when PHP came around, it was revolutionary as well, you know, because like people were building uh, in Perl and um, Tickle CK and C, like you said. And, and so PHP was like really refreshing and easy and it was like C-like, uh, but with all, with all, without all of the challenges. And so I immediately jumped on that. Uh, I never had the chance to look at these proprietary vendors that you mentioned because like I was a student, so I didn't have access to these tools. So I just started building what made sense to me. Uh, but yes, and these were the days and people forget, you know, like I remember the first cell phones were released and they had mm -hmm. text messaging. And it was like the old text messaging where you're limited to 140 characters or something. Um, Google, I think, was a year old or a couple of years old at the time. So they were still a very small private company. We were using all kinds of search engines, but not Google. Um, social media didn't exist. The mobile web didn't exist. I think the browser of the day was Netscape 3. That was freshly released. So, I mean, it felt like you could wrap your arms around the web. You know, it was small. It was intimate. You could kind of track everything that was happening almost. Because I think the number of websites at the time was probably measured in tens of millions of websites, not in hundreds of millions or billions of websites. You know, obviously Facebook didn't exist for another, you know, X years. Like, yeah, it was a different world. And so it was, in a way, easy easier to break through and do something interesting. And I definitely benefited from, uh, you know, being an early adopter. And and actually that's what happened, Keith. Like, so we had this message board. I eventually graduated. I left college and I didn't want to shut down the message boards because it was actually like an intranet. And I decided to move it to the public internet and had to register a domain name for it. And you know, it became drop.org and that message board then evolved into uh, my experimental platform. And I would, the web was young and growing fast and people were inventing all kinds of things. And I would be among the first people to add those capabilities. So for example, um, the very first feature or one of the very first features in Drupal beyond being a message board was something that at the time was called public diaries, which eventually became blogging, but this was before blogging was called blogging or RSS feeds. If, if you know those, they were invented and I didn't help invent them just to be clear, but I was one of the first people to implement support for them. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I can implement an RSS feed and I did. And so like, it really felt exciting and thrilling to be part of the kind of early days of the web. And I would implement all of these features in my message board turned experimental platform. And I was blogging about it, uh, even though we didn't call it blogging, I was writing about it. And that attracted an audience of people interested in the future of the web and that were kind of curious about some of these new things and experiments. And they would give me suggestions on how to improve my site and what other experiments I can do. And eventually I'm like, you know what, instead of me having to do all the experiments myself, how about I just make the source code available to you and then you have your own experimental platform. So spend, I don't know, 30 seconds thinking about a name, Drupal, uh, uploaded it to my website and expected maybe 10 people to download it and use it as their experimental platform. So um, very humble beginnings, very unassuming beginnings. So I was going to ask you about how you came up with the, the word Drupal. Oh, you know, that's a whole separate story on its own. So when I moved out of my message boards, and I had to, you know, 
move my website to the public internet from an intranet to the public internet. You have to have a domain name. And so I wanted to regist register the name um, uh, dorp.org. So D-O-R-P, which is Dutch for small village or community, because we had this little mm. community. And so I'm like, all right, I'm going to call it, you know, dorp.org, small community. And I made a typo and I switched the O and the R <laughs> and I ended up, you know, there was a drop.org when I was still free. And I'm like, wow, I'm taking this, you know, I'm I'm rich, <laughs> like a four letter <laughs> domain name. Um, right. And yeah, back in the day, you still, you still could register those things. Mm. And so I still own uh, drop.org and, but drop.org became my kind of personal website for a while. And when I needed to come up with a name for my software, Hold on. So this was, here's a thought process that I had, you know, so um, drop um, in Dutch is a dripple or droplet. And I said, how, how would an English speaking person pronounce the Dutch words dripple or drop? And I'm like, oh, Drupal. And <laughs> uh, that's how I came up with the name and literally took me all of 30 seconds. And uh, I remember the first many years of Drupal people would mispronounce it. They would say Drupal and, <laughs> and like people like, yeah, you have to change the name because it's a terrible name. Nobody can pronounce it properly. But after a while, everybody started to learn how to actually pronounce it. And today, almost no one mispronounces it, you know? And so. Okay. Yeah. As an extension of that, who designed the logo that, you know, is behind you? Yeah, that was we had a multiple uh, iterations of that and multiple people were involved. Um, there's a guy called Kika that was involved. Uh, Steven Wittens was involved. I was involved. And the same thing, like people would see this and they're like, that looks like an evil cartoon character <laughs> kind of thing. Like nobody's ever going to take you serious. You have a bad name. You have kind of a non-corporate comic-y logo. And uh, for many years, people would... Uh, push me to change both the name and the logo. Uh, we never did. We did evolve it, <laughs> um, but we never changed it, you know, so. All right. Yeah. All right. So fast forward a little bit to 2003. Presidential candidate Howard Dean is using mm -hmm. the internet. One of the, well, maybe the first. Yeah. Like president to actually leverage the internet to help out with his campaign. That's right. And that was, yeah, that was a Drupal. big deal for us. Yeah. Yeah, he was literally a presidential candidate, and he was literally, like you said, um, one of the first or the first candidate to leverage the internet to campaign. And he picked Drupal, and he built a platform called Dean Space on top of Drupal, and it made um, kind of shockwaves, you know, because nobody else had ever used the internet to campaign. And he basically built it all on Drupal and he enabled all of his uh, supporters, I guess. Um, not sure what the right word is. Uh, to build sites with Drupal that were basically campaign platforms. And so you had a lot of local communities and cities, people in cities kind of spin up these websites. And it was pretty cool. They were like federated, so they even integrated uh, together and, and news propagated up and down all of these sites. Uh, and, you know, obviously it didn't win the election or everybody would know Howard Dean. <laughs> uh, but he was an underdog that got quite far and... And it actually led to very interesting things happening in the Drupal community. But um, he got a lot of media coverage about his approach and, and his use of the internet. And he, we would find articles in like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times and Time Magazine. And they would talk about Howard Dean and how we use Dean space. And sometimes we were mentioned as well. You know, it would be like, yada, 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 Dean space, comma, <laughs> built on Drupal, comma, <laughs> And uh, even though it was very small mentions, it actually gave a lot of credibility to Drupal. Uh, and it also kind of took the world by surprise in the sense that after the success or the relative success that Howard Dean had, uh, in the next elections, uh, every presidential candidate was using Drupal uh, to campaign online. So you really um, unleashed kind of a <laughs> online campaign um, movement. And uh, a lot of a lot of the other candidates, I think the first time around, all of the uh, presidential candidates ended up using Drupal for their campaign platform. And, all right, uh, so yeah. you're getting serious traction, right? So this is an open source project. So so how do you fund this? Like like when, you know, yeah. things are really starting to scale and grow. 
Yeah, well, um, there's a bunch of different things that we did, but yeah, I was a student. I uh, actually went back to college to do a PhD, so I was still very poor, so to speak, like I had no money and like Drupal started growing and we had to pay for servers and hardware and all of these things. And uh, we did a variety of different things. I mean, I remember by 2005, uh, you may have heard this story, but I call it the big server meltdown. Uh, by this time, so much traffic came to Drupal.org that basically our website kind of melted, you know, like we couldn't scale it anymore and we needed to buy a bigger server. <laughs> it, it was actually, I was, I got some, at the time the website was running on, uh, you know, free hosting, frankly, I had a friend, he had a server, all of his customers ran on that server and he gave me a slice, if you will, of that server for Drupal.org and that no longer worked. And so... We did some back of the envelope calculation. And I think we said we need about $3,000 to buy like a really good server. And that was a lot more money than I had uh, as a as a, as a student. And so my best idea at the time was to replace all of the pages of Drupal.org. It was like a blank page. And in the middle was a button, a PayPal button that says, please donate some money. Uh, we'll be back once we have raised $3,000. <laughs> And uh, something amazing happened. Like overnight, uh, people contributed $10,000. And I got so freaked <laughs> out. Uh, I remember changing my password, my PayPal password to be like this long, you know? Um, <laughs> and then PayPal blocked my account for suspicious traffic. <laughs> because in the first like five years of Drupal or four years of Drupal, I had raised maybe $50 total, you know, over four years. And all of a sudden, like $10,000 comes into my account overnight um you know we got a server for free from sun microsystem that was like a seven thousand dollar server we got free hosting from the university of portland oregon and anyway so we were back up and running um, but that was a bit of a hustle you know like i didn't have money we needed money to scale the project uh, we were able to you know raise it that way that actually led me to and other things too let me to create a the Drupal Association is what we call it. It's essentially a nonprofit organization uh, that sits behind Drupal. And today they actually fund a lot of the like they fund our servers and our infrastructure. We organize events. So we do Drupal cons as an example. They attract like two, three thousand people. And we make some money from them. We're, we're very much a nonprofit, but we make some money from these events that we then use to advance our mission that we use to pay for the server cost that we use to pay for, you know, various initiatives, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a, a community supported today um, by a nonprofit, but it wasn't always that way. And uh, yeah, it was, was painful for, for a while, you know, until we got to enough scale. But I like telling that story because... It's a great example of how we had to hustle, but it's also a great example of what a great community that we were building, you know, and people just stepping in and, and you know, today, again, you have all these platforms, but at the time you didn't, you know, like now you have GoFundMe and Kickstarters. And again, at the time it was, it was very unusual, you know, so. Yeah, no, I mean, it shows the power of your community and they're willing to support and patience, meaning mm -hmm. it's not like you, when you first started it, you put a PayPal account saying, you know, help me build this. It was four years in the making of what you had built where people could support it. And then as an extension to where we're heading next, you started to have large websites starting to use Drupal like MTV, which as a teenager, I watched a lot of MTV, probably too much. We all did. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so what was that like when you had like, oh my, all right, this large, I mean, a media company using yeah. Drupal. Yeah, no, it was unreal at the time. You know, again, I was not working on Drupal professionally. It was just a hobby project for me. I would work on it at night on the weekends. I honestly wouldn't talk to that many people about it. But more and more, these organizations started using Drupal, large companies like MTV, and often they had issues. And so like, I remember, you know, MTV switched MTV.com to Drupal and um, their sites crashed, you know, and I would spend my nights on a conference call for free, you know, trying to help the engineers there to get their Drupal site up and running. Um, and this was before Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> it cost a lot of money just like being on the phone, you know, 
uh, with them. Uh, but it made me realize that in order for Drupal to be successful and to be truly successful, it needed a company behind, um, you know, we needed a company behind Drupal that would help these enterprise organizations, these large media companies, um, you know, be, make them successful, right? Like they, they needed to call, be able to call an organization. They needed to be able to file a support ticket. They needed some guarantees that their um, website would work. And again, at the time, open source was still relatively new. There was maybe a dozen open source companies in the whole world, you know? So it wasn't a well-known thing, open source. Open source was still being poo-pooed and being ridiculed and, you know, Microsoft called it a cancer. <laughs> and so for a lot of these organizations, it wasn't an obvious choice. Uh, today it is, like today everybody uses open source. Nobody thinks twice about it, so to speak. Uh, but at the time, uh, we felt that having a company like Acquia, which is a company that I ended up starting, would really help these organizations get comfortable adopting something kind of unusual as an open source project. And um, yeah, started the company in 2007. Um, well, perfect segue. Okay, so now yeah. we're going to shift gears into the company uh -huh. building. So we we talked about the foundation building Drupal. At what point, well, I guess you just said, you know, when you started to see these companies using it, that they needed something more. But how did it all come together? Actually, you know, yeah. the building of Acquia, the company. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of finishing up my PhD and I was trying to figure out what to do next. You know, Drupal was having some momentum and it was my passion. So I figured I would turn my hobby project into my full-time job. Uh, so it's pretty convinced I wanted to do that. Um, one of the things that I did is I invited myself, uh, so to speak, uh, to go meet with people that were ahead of me. And so, for example, MySQL, which I mentioned, was a database company, was at the time, I think, one of the largest open source companies. Um, they were doing, I think, 30 million in revenue at the time. So, you know... Um, and so Martin Mikos, he was a, one of the founders or founder and CEO, um, you know, he said, yep, come on over and I'll tell you everything I I've learned about how to do an open source business. And similarly, I met with like Linus Torvalds, who started Linux. I met with Tim O'Reilly, um, who's famous from the O'Reilly books, you know, the, the programming books with the animals <laughs> on the mm -hmm. cover. Um, I met with Larry Augustin, who, uh, basically had taken, VA Linux public at the time, which was, I think, just with 3 million in revenue. <laughs> but like this was sort of Linux, you know, was was the hot thing at the time. And so I would learn from all of these entrepreneurs on how to build an open source business. At the same time, I also met uh, Jay Batson, who is local in Boston, uh, as well as Michael Scott, who is an investor, uh, also local in Boston. And they wanted to build an open source company. Um, they like Drupal. They also liked some other technologies at the time. And we started talking as well. And, you know, I'll cut, I'll cut the story short, but after nine months of, you know, spending time with them, getting to know them, uh, our, our baby was born, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and we decided to uh, start Acquia with Jay as my co-founder and Michael uh, Scott as are you know kind of lead investor, initial investor, and so started and this the is two thousand seven. Seven, yeah. yeah. So this is yeah two thousand seven. Yep. So again, I think patience and like it's not like this was an overnight success story. This is years in the making. Yeah. That and recently you had published a founding story of Acquia, or at some point maybe it was the ten year anniversary. I forget. Yeah. And Jay had done. Jay did the same thing. So I was able to read yeah. both of them. Yeah. And Jay's it was fascinating because he's like. I went to the Yahoo's open source CMS yeah. summit to meet yeah. Trees to start to develop this right. relationship because he was excited about Drupal. And um, yeah, that's where I first yeah. met Jay. We we were having, so we do these Drupal cons and we basically talked Yahoo into offering, you know, their space, their conference space. And we had our Drupal conference at, um, at Yahoo in Sunnyvale, California. And we we actually that year decided to invite other CMSs to it. And so we rebranded it once to the open source CMS conference, but it was like 95% Drupal people ah, okay. and, a, and a few <laughs> other like non-Drupal uh, CMS people. But anyhow, 
uh, and, and Jay was there. I never met Jay. And Jay kept asking for time with me. And I kept kind of pushing him off. I'm like, Jay, this is like DrupalCon. Like, it's super busy. We're trying to get, I think it was Drupal 4.7 release. I don't have time to, to kind of hang out with you. I don't know you. Like, I have all these Drupal friends from around the world that, that, that travel to Sunnyvale, California. Like, I want to spend time with them. So Jay kept coming back and kept coming back. Uh, and eventually I'm like, you know what? Let's have breakfast tomorrow, you know? And um, and then it's when Jay pitched his idea of what he wanted to do. Um, and that's the beginning of our kind of relation or business relationship and our, and our friendship as well. Uh, and so we ended up talking, as I said, for probably about nine months, building that relationship, aligning on what we wanted to do. Um, and yeah. Uh, and then we launched Aquia. Jay obviously had great ideas. He was doing a lot of research of how to build a business around an open source project. What were you thinking? Because I'm sure you kind of had this like dilemma, like, oh my God, what's how's the Drupal community going to respond of me building yeah. a company? So how did you think through that process? It was tricky. I wanted to, you know, I was sort of like community first in my heart, you know? And like, as we, like Drupal predated Acquia by seven years. So for seven years, I'd been running the Drupal project completely independently. Like I didn't make a single dollar with Drupal for seven years or a single euro, nothing. And that independence was a real strength. And people trusted me because like I really had no financial gain in any decision <laughs> that I made. I just wanted Drupal to be successful. So I was very nervous about you know, launching Acquia and we had raised $7 million. You know, I was very nervous about sort of this announcement of like, you know, Dries uh, now has $7 million and he's going to make out. money with Drupal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and people were very mixed, you know, to be, to be honest. A lot of people were very scared uh, about what would happen. It, some people thought it was the end of Drupal. Uh, but Jay and I and, and Michael and the investors, we... We made this agreement that we would invest and give back in Drupal and that we all recognize that for Acquia to be successful, Drupal needs to be successful. And so our heart was very much at the right place and we committed to doing the right thing. And and still today, um, you know, we give back so much to Drupal, we invest in Drupal, we make the community better. Uh, and, and slowly but certainly more and more people and organizations that started to see that we were actually true to our words, you know, that we are here to, yes, build a business, but also to grow Drupal. Uh, and so I think that initial skepticism uh, eventually uh, turned into, you know, people being very happy and people understanding that there is sort of a symbiotic relationship between uh, Drupal and Acquia, like, you know, and Drupal does well, Acquia does well. Uh, and so it's in our best interest to, um, you know, make the Drupal project successful. So. Right, so as you highlighted, you raised seven million dollars centered around an open source yeah. project. Technically, Acquia didn't have a product. So right. what how did you build the company? Like what what did you build to start to generate yeah. revenue? Yeah, so we um so the phase one of Acquia, if you will, was to be to Drupal what Red Hat was to Linux, meaning to be a commercial support company. I mentioned that I met with all of these open source business leaders and there weren't that many, but they all had the same product. <laughs> there was the Acquia network, there was the MySQL network, there was the JBoss network. They all built the network, which was basically commercial support plus some additional services. Um, like in our case, we had some uptime monitoring and, and things like that. And that's what we built and that's what we launched. Um, and it's still something that we do today. Um, but then I think it was around 2008 or nine, I forgot now, Amazon launched AWS, um, Amazon Web Services, and we kind of bet the farm on the clouds. Um, and we were one of the first companies to, um, you know, go all in on, on the cloud. And so here we were, you know, trying to sell open source when, Open source is still very much like, it's like, I don't know, why would I trust open source? And then we were also trying to sell the cloud when people, um, you know, had invested in their own data centers. They're like, I don't trust 
I'm moving my workloads to the cloud. You know, why would I use open source and why would I use the cloud? <laughs> uh, but there was a small percentage of people that kind of, you know, maybe, you know, saw saw the uniqueness and saw the potential of open source in the cloud. And, and that was enough to, to really get Acquia going. Um, and yeah, that, that like kind of ended up leading to, you know, hyper growth, to be honest. I think we grew, I think we grew one year from like less than 2 million in revenue to over 10 million in revenue in one year. And then the year after, I think we went from 10 or 11 to 23 million. And so like things really started to take off. <laughs> um, and it was thanks to the combination of Drupal, open source and clouds. Um, and so we became one of the fastest growing, you know, private technology companies in in the US. Um, so, yeah. So that yeah, was, that, that worked, you know, that was a great business model. And in many ways we helped pioneer sort of the business model that you see in for open source businesses today. Like most open source businesses today, the way they make money is no longer with the traditional or the original open source business model of providing commercial support. They make money by delivering open source in the cloud, you know? And so right. we were the first or among the first to do that. Uh, and yeah, and, and still today, you know, we still do that today in addition to many other things. All right, so you start to build a, a core foundation of a business at, some point you eventually decided to bring in a new CEO, Tom Erickson. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what, what got you to that point where we're like, we need someone else to come in to lead the company and then the hyper growth scale after, you know, you talked about the revenue growth, like what was that yeah. scale like as far as that hyper growth? Yeah. Um, yeah. So Tom came in, I'm trying to remember maybe, two, maybe two years after starting the company. I could be wrong a little bit on the dates. It's now been a while, but um, and 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 we brought in Tom because he specialized in kind of sales and marketing, uh, team building, and really growing the company from a from a go to market point of view. That was his real core strength. He was his background was in in sales leadership, uh, so he was really very much a sales person, you know, or at least his background. Um, yeah, and it's under Tom that we really grew super fast. You know, we had figured out our business model. And I often say like, um, you know, a startup is, is a search for a business model that's scalable. <laughs> and we had found a scalable business model, you know, shortly after the um, sort of the, you know, delivering Drupal in the clouds, um, you know, motion that we had. Um, and so now it was all about scaling, hiring people, uh, building go-to-market teams. Um, and so it's very exciting, you know? It, it, it was the most thrilling part of the Acquia journey because also for me, it was sort of my first company really. I had some other small things, but like <laughs> I was learning so much on the fly, you know? Every day it felt there was something new and in a way, like when you're going through this hyper growth, it's almost like a tornado hits your house and the doors and windows are flying off the house and you're trying to decide, are we keeping the doors? Because we can hold <laughs> on to the doors, but then we lose the windows. And like, it, it's just, it, you know, it's very exciting, to be honest. And um, we ended up raising money uh, every year uh, for the next, I think, seven years or so. Um, yeah. It's good. That's nice. Yeah. So, you know, fast forward. Well, one, you ended up moving to Boston, right? Yeah. So well, in the middle of all of that, I, yeah, I moved to Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Which was a big move because, you yeah, know, yeah. family and. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And like, then... I wanted to move day one, but we just had our oldest son and my wife. She's like, no way will we move with a two-month-old baby or something and you know obviously respected that and we wanted the support of our family and then we had another son we couldn't quite move again and then when our second son was nine months old I think it was about nine months we decided to make the move and by then Acquia was a couple of years into its journey and things were starting to take off and I also felt like all right I need to be in Boston I need to be you know 
you know, where, where the headquarters are. Cause I was going back and forth all the time and it was, that was tough, you know? So made a move and I've been in Boston ever since. And then fast forward a little bit with the company. So you've eventually, you started like making acquisitions, so Modic and others, and then you like evolved to what mm -hmm. I think if it's, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, like digital experience platform is kind yes. of the mantra of what Acquia yeah. is today. So, so what, what, like, what's the latest with Acquia? Yeah. So we were born out of Drupal and we were born ar around content management systems, right? Uh, website uh, building in the cloud. And the beginning of Acquia, we had this concept of like, we believe every organization needs a website. <laughs> Today, it sounds stupid actually to say, right? This notion like every organization needs a website. Uh, but I think um, by 2000, maybe 16 or so, um, we concluded that every organization needs a website, but then some. Like, you know, we realized that for our customers to be digital winners, to be really good at what they do, they need a website, but they also need email marketing. They might need a digital asset management uh, solution to manage all of their images and, and videos and PDFs. Um, they might need a CDP or a customer data platform to do personalized content delivery. And so we evolved the vision of the company from just being focused on content management and Drupal to becoming a DXP, um, essentially building a toolbox of different solutions and integrate them uh, that allow our customers to be just, you know, to basically stand out as digital organizations, whether it's for fundraising, whether it's for student enrollment, whether it's for uh, standing, standing out with your website or whether it's for media companies, it doesn't matter. And, and basically, in the same way that we said every organization needs a website, uh, we started saying, well, actually, every organization needs a DXP. And so, like, as an example, Nestle is a very large customer of Acquia. It's the largest food company in the world. I believe they have about 4,000 sites. Uh, so they have hundreds of products, and then they operate in, I don't even know, 80-plus regions, that, what they call regions. And so you multiply the products by the region, then you end up like with, you know, thousands of sites. <laughs> and when we meet with them, they say things like, well, it's great that you helped us put a website in every region for every product that we have. Because by the way, like KitKat is a Nestle brand. And I think they have a hundred something websites just for KitKat. And the reason is because KitKat is a little different everywhere. Like in Japan, if you've ever been, they have a matcha KitKat. It's basically a KitKat that's green. <laughs> um, and so you don't have that in the US. And so that's why they need to, um, you know, their go-to market is slightly different in every region, which is why they need websites in every region. Uh, but when we meet with their leadership, they're like, well, actually, it's great that you help us with a website for every product in every region. But really, I need to enable my sales and marketing teams in every region not just with a website, but I need all of these other things too. I need email marketing. I need customer service uh, solution in every region for every product. I need this, I need that. And and the more we talk to customers, the more we started to realize like, all right, if they're going to be successful, they don't need just a website. They need all of these other things. And they need all of these other things to work well together. Because you can, can cobble these things together. It's what most companies do today. You know, they'll buy uh, Marketo, they'll buy a Drupal, they'll buy this. and But then the data and the content isn't always well integrated and it can actually lead to like a disjointed uh, customer experience. You know, maybe your website is in English, but your emails are in Dutch. And like, anyway, these tools, they don't always stock well together. And so we set out to build a DXP collection of tools that are well integrated open platform so everybody can integrate with it that enables these businesses and organizations to to do really nice things in the digital world so very cool mm -hmm. all right so in 2019 vista equity partners made a billion dollar majority investment into aquia fast forward to today how many employees is aquia at this point i think we're around 1400 would yeah, be my so guess 
Yeah. So la large company. Yeah. One Real of the things that over 300 I, million in ARR revenue. Wow. So, okay. Yeah. So one of the things that I thought was especially intriguing was you had another blog post talking about Aquia's culture as a company and how the, like the values haven't changed since like the early days, whenever you set those up. So mm -hmm. lots of companies have these, you know, they want to build a great culture. It's not easy to do, especially with the growth you've experienced, the tenure that you've been around. So how have you been able to keep that, those values true to, to since that early, yeah. early days? Yeah. I remember one of the first meetings with Jay, when we said we would start a company together, um, he flew to Antwerp. I was living in Antwerp still at the time. And I remember whiteboarding our company values, like literally on the very first meeting, the first meeting that we had as co-founders and um, I have photos of the whiteboard still. Um, and so we kind of cemented those early on, probably took a few years to take them from whiteboard to actually a written document that we have. Um, and so we put a lot of thought and effort into really trying to describe what we call the Acquia DNA uh, in every office that we have around the world. We actually put the DNA on the wall and so like right next to the entrance so that every employee, but also every visitor, every customer, every partner, they can go and they can talk, read our DNA, our company values. Um, and so it starts with being really clear about what they are and writing them down. And then the next step is to actually live them and promote them. So, um, you know, let's say you have a all hands meeting, like we would have all hands meeting meetings every month. We would always try to go back to these values. You know, we would highlight other employees that lived up to our DNA, that would exemplify our DNA. And we would talk about it through the lens of our values. You know, so it's something that you have to instill uh, in everyone. And today in our larger company, we have, you know, advanced onboarding programs for new employees. And one of the first things that they're exposed to is also our DNA. You know, and we go take the time and effort to walk them through it with examples and, and illustrations of what it means to be an Aquian and to be a true Aquian, if you will, um, based on our DNA. So, yeah, we live it every day, you know. Well, this is obviously, you know, a great story in terms of the success of Drupal, Aquia, but obviously I'm sure there was moments of craziness and lessons learned. So, so what are some of the, like the, the, the hardest mm. parts or the experiences that you remember of scaling a company that you'd want to pass along to other entrepreneurs? Mm. Like one of the hardest things for me, and again, I studied engineering, um, and so I'm an engineer by heart, but, um, I came to realize that entrepreneurship is 80% sales and marketing, even as an engineer <laughs> or as a CTO. Because if you think about it, uh, so much of what I do is, and I use marketing as a word, but it's in the broad sense. And so let me explain what I mean. But like, you know, you have to go raise money, you know, that is a form of marketing. Uh, you have to recruit people. That is a form of marketing because you have to get them excited about your your mission and your vision. And then once you've recruited them and they join the company, you have to explain to them what we're doing and how we're going to do it. And that's a form of sales and marketing. And then obviously you have the traditional sales and marketing <laughs> in the sense of like getting customers. Um, and so for me, that was an interesting observation. Like I don't, if I, stayed a hundred percent focus on just sort of writing software or the technology sites. I don't know if Acquia would have been, you know, the success that it is today. And it took for me, and it's a personal experience. It took me to like, uh, and I also consider myself an introvert, you know, like I had to learn to do these things. And so it's funny because sometimes I get invited to speak at uh, universities in front of, you know, engineers or, you know, Oh, and it's like one of the things that I tell them and they're, and you can, you can kind of feel sort of the, the wave of like confusion or maybe even anger <laughs> rippling through the, you know, through the, through the audience. And I say, well, actually you're going to be an entrepreneur as an engineer. It's 80% sales and marketing, 20% engineering. And, uh, 
Of course. So did Jay help you with that? Bit. Like, how did you learn of that? Of course, yeah, to, I learned that a lot. Of, yeah, I learned. Um, I learned from Jay. I learned from Tom. All of these things. I, I learned it's um, the hard way, you know, you know, by doing. Like, often I describe myself as an accidental leader too. Like, you know, I just started this project in my dorm, and all of a sudden, I find myself uh, pitching VCs or you know, go going up on stage delivering a keynote in front of thousands of people. Um, I didn't, I didn't seek that necessarily. Um, I find myself in that position. I enjoy being in that position, but I still today, I'm not like, Oh, which conference can I go speak at next? You know? Uh, but I do it because I see the value of it and it helps, you know, Drupal, um, it helps others. Um, but it's something that I have to learn, had to learn and still like, you know, I'm still learning how to do that today. So. What's a good podcast or book recommendation for entrepreneurs? Mm. You know, I, I love reading uh, biographies mm -hmm. um, in terms of books. I read like, I, I really loved Shoe Dog. Are you familiar? Oh, it's, yeah. Oh, uh, Phil Knight, founder of That's Nike. Amazing. That was a great book. Um, I read the Steve Jobs, uh, you know, mm -hmm. biographies. I, I enjoyed those. Um, even uh, Warren Buffett. I loved his biography as well. Like ever. You know, I've been doing Drupal for 23 years. I've been doing Acquia for 16 or 17 years. Um, and, you know, people ask me, like, are you going to do something else, do something differently and, you know, do another startup? And some people, they create a new company every four years or what have you. And I really started to admire people like Warren Buffett that sort of committed to one thing, you know, and that built something really big over the course of their life. And uh, a lot of the people that I mentioned, Phil Knight from Nike, um, even Steve Jobs to, to a large extent, even though he you know, did a couple of site projects, also massively successful, you know, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, they really committed to one or two things and, and built, you know, made things really big. And um, yeah, I love that. And I love reading their stories. You know, I can learn from all of them. Uh, learn different things from each of them. So hopefully I keep doing what I'm doing for many years to come. All right. Outside of work, what do you like to do for fun? Mm -hmm. I like hiking. I like skiing. I like travel. Um, I like playing tennis. I mean, I have many interests, to be honest. Uh, I'm kind of, yeah, <laughs> I get, I get into different things at different times, but, uh, often involves being outside um, or kind of being intellectually stimulated, um, you know, learning new things. Um, so those kinds of things. Very cool. Well, Dries, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background story. Obviously the story behind Drupal, Acquia, and all the great points of inspiration and advice along the way. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me.